Hello and welcome to the Hello Darkness podcast. I am your host, Esther Adelkoff. In this week's episode, I have a deep and vulnerable conversation with Chayla Machnik. Chayla is a licensed clinical social worker who practices in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. She has an insatiable appetite for life and also a deep awareness and understanding of life's challenges. Chayla loves to work with children and their parents, helping to create long-lasting, secure attachments. She is on her own healing journey, and she brings this experience to all the work that she does. Without any further ado, I present to you this week's episode of the Hello Darkness podcast, Hello Healing with Chayla Machnik. Hello, welcome. I'm just going to jump right in. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you jumping in and I appreciate you taking the risk of trying something new. Um, I'm going to ask you to start by introducing yourself. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? What, what's your therapy? Hello, darkness connection. <laughs> All right. Hi, y'all. I'm Chayla Muchnik. I'm 30 years old, and I am an LCSW, which is a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I'm all for healing, everything about it. Um, I feel like I've been in the therapy journey since before I can remember, and that's what inspired me to um, help others find that little piece inside of them that wants to heal. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, California, and had about... 16, 17 years old, I moved away from my family and I came to school in New York. I boarded a little bit and that's where, you know, I started getting curious about human beings and people. Mm. And here we are today. I'm on a podcast trying something new. It's terrifying and exciting. But here I am. Here you are. Yeah. I want to ask because... I think this is one of those words that means so many different things to different people. What do you mean when you say healing? What does that look like? What does that mean? Hmm. Million dollar question. Um, Healing. So on a personal level, I feel like healing means to be able to tap into yourself when things are going good, things are going not so good. And... Get to a place of understanding yourself. You know, why I tick a certain way, why I respond a certain way, how other people respond to me, and my reactions, my attitude towards stuff. You know, in theory, it sounds great. Like, oh, I know everything about me, and I want to learn everything about me, but sometimes it's really not easy. And I think my favorite, you know, line I've ever heard when it comes to healing is that healing isn't, um, you know, straight. There are so many different ways that healing comes about. And there's times when you're not ready to heal that you're shoved into, you gotta heal. And there's times where you're like, yes, I'm gonna do this and I'm ready and I'm ready to tap in. And then like, there's this stuck moment. And I think that healing looks different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an interesting journey 
to find out what healing means to each person. It sounds like to you, healing is really the path to like self-knowledge and self-knowledge is the path to healing. Mm-hmm. And also there's an element of like acceptance accepting that the healing is happening or that the healing is not happening and it's not on your timeline. Exactly. And healing really, you know, the word healing today is like, you know, thrown around, like you see it everywhere. And, um, I think that healing is a lifelong journey. I don't think we come to a place and we're like, Oh, I'm healed. All is well. Um, I think that it's a, it's part of self-discovery and there's going to be times that you're not on that healing journey and that's okay. You're just, you're, you're on the, you know, they say like the ride of life. Yeah. And then there's days that, all right, I'm going to try something new, but I don't like to put pressure on it. I like for it to happen organically. Um, and I try to be kind to myself in the moments where I want to be somewhere and I'm not. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. I think the hardest position to be in is the self-knowledge, like Mm -hmm. knowing that you're doing something. You're like, I'm doing that thing that I always do. Mm -hmm. Once you can acknowledge your side of the street, your role in the dynamic, and finding yourself not able to stop it. Mm -hmm. The choice. Yeah, the tipping point where you have like self-awareness, but you don't have maybe the distress tolerance or the you don't know what doing it differently would look like you haven't imagined it Mm -hmm. and I think that's the hardest place to be in and that's the place where we need the most compassion yeah and I think it's just the the subconscious because the subconscious is so strong it's terrified of change it's terrified of doing something different because the unknown is really scary and one of my biggest inspirations and a personal mentor of mine is Dr. Nicola Perra, mm. the holistic psychologist, and she talks so often about the subconscious. The subconscious is screaming at you when you're when you want to make a change. It's like stop. It's stop. like a terrified child yeah. kicking and screaming. Yeah. And then what happens is is once you start making those little changes and you do see the beauty, life will kick you right back to that subconscious. Because, you know, we are creatures of habit and it takes time. That's why I always say that healing is life, a lifelong journey. Because if your mind has been trying the same way for 20, 30 years to do something, it's not going to take a week, a year, or two years for it to just be like, all right, friends. On a neurobiological level, you just don't have those pathways. Mm-hmm. But you do have the ability to develop. Yeah, we have that elasticity, but yeah, you got to do it, you know? The only way to do it is to do it. And that work, man, is hard. I'm curious because I work mostly with adults, and I see that. I see how hard change is. I see that, like, yeah, you're doing it this way. You've done it this way for 30 years. Your mother did it this way. Your grandmother might have done it this way. But you work with kids, so I'm wondering how you see this play out. And you work with adults, so Mm -hmm. I feel like you have both. So the wonderful thing about children is that, honestly, their brains are still developing. And they have such a beautiful ability to create change and to do something different. 
And that's why I specifically want parents in the room throughout our session because what happens is parents are healing as well in this room. Um, they get to create new patterns that from where they came from. And very often I have moms coming in. Um, you know, I, I see children with their parents, and then every so often I meet with the parents on their own because, you know, we want to touch base, we want to know how the children are doing. And, you know, so often I talk about that, you know, a five-year-old child is so tiny to be holding so much anxiety. And mm -hmm. I share with the parents that, like, the same way I, you, and our neighbor is holding on to things that came before them, if you're human, your children are going to be holding on to some of your stuff. And when I say that, I see the parents take like a, a sigh and I, and I see them acknowledging what they're holding from yeah. before them. And it's such a, it's like a beautiful sight to see when people recognize that, oh my God, this is a pattern and I have the ability to do something different. Yeah. It's like the transgenerational trauma stops here. Oh, It yes. stops here. That's yeah. the most powerful thing to see. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that I work in Williamsburg with, you know, the population that I work with is primarily Hasidic. And um, most of... So what does that mean for the work? What's the implication of that? Um, when you mentioned transgenerational trauma, that really spoke to me because most of... I won't say most. 99.9% .9 of the children or the adults that I work with, their parents, their grandparents or great-grandparents are survivors of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I really see the remnants in that therapy room. And it's mind-boggling to... In what way does it show up? I'm so curious. Um, in attachment. You know, unfortunately, people lost their parents and went at a young age and then they came to America as young children and they didn't have that secure attachment so it was hard for them to give that over to their own children and then in turn to their children's children so I want to interrupt you for one second yeah, yeah. and ask to give like a quick on like one foot definition of attachment Ooh, which is like topic. the foundation <laughs> it's like everything but what would you say my favorite topic it's my favorite topic I wish they would teach um, attachment to women who give birth or are about to give birth as part of the you know childbearing classes um, in short if you are human you have an attachment style and um, brilliant therapist who came before us um, developed attachment theory and the way a child attaches to their primary caregiver or is tended to by their primary caregivers is how they will eventually attach and relate to their significant other and their friends and friendships and relationships. And so being able to be present in a healthy, emotional, mental, physical way to your children is how they will be able to eventually attach to other human beings. I think an interesting component of this is also to yourself. Yes. If your parents don't have any tolerance for your anxiety, mm -hmm. how the hell are you going to sit with your anxiety? Exactly. You've never learned that. Yeah, it's all about self-regulation. Self mm -hmm. So when that's what happens, when a crying baby goes to their parent and their parent isn't able to soothe them, a child doesn't learn or know how to co-regulate or even how to regulate themselves. 
So what happens is a child starts relying on their own tools, but a little baby has very little tools. So sometimes they shut down, they avoid, and they're looking elsewhere for that regulation. So it could be through a toy, and then later on through numbing. Drug, sex. Yeah, all different kinds of things to help them regulate their nervous system. Mm. And so back to what you said, how do I see it in the room, is that very often, you know, the generations, they lost that secure attachment. So children are coming in really anxious. Parents um, struggle to know how to hug them properly or even how to play with them because they didn't get them the, they didn't get that care or that attachment themselves. Yeah. Something that I think is incredible because I think when you can hear this, like it sounds so doomsday, like it's all up to the parents and you can fuck up your kids in a second. <laughs> I think there's also space for like the good enough mother, like mm-hmm. just being good enough, trying, wanting to try. I think a very interesting to statistic is that parents that buy parenting books are better parents regardless of if they read them or if they don't read them i believe that i believe that i actually just read a statistic that um children who have good enough parents will develop secure attachment and what's interesting is is they say today's adult population i don't know what they consider adults but Today's adult population, 50% of adults have insecure attachment. Wow. But what's coming up is they're saying, wait, we need to do something to end this. How do we, how do we stop this? How do we be healthier partners, healthier parents? And um, like you said, reading up, learning about your attachment, seeking professional help specifically about attachment um, will help you become a good enough parent which will, in turn, you will produce children that are have secure attachment, and by them having secure attachment, the generations are being healed. Mm. So when you heal yourself, you're really healing the people who come after you. And so you see that so tangibly in the room. Oh, I see that. I see that so heavily. Yeah, in, tell me more. Yeah, in Williamsburg. Um, you ask what else comes up. I see a lot of interesting relationships with food. Right? Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, they didn't have food. People died of starvation, yeah. malnourishment. And so there are people who are, you know, want food all the time and struggle to have a limit. And then there's the opposite. You know, our parents said you better finish everything on that plate. And so some of us struggle with actually eating. So I see a lot of interesting relationships with food. Food is so festooned with the imprints of parenting. Yes, yes. It's like one of the first questions I like to ask a patient, like what's your relationship like with food? Mm -hmm. What was your relationship like with food growing up? Was there a lot of food? Was there no food? Mm -hmm. Was it okay to eat food? Was it only okay to eat food at certain times? Was there guilt attached to food? Was mommy not eating? Was mommy eating? Like... Such important question. Such important question. And you know what's so interesting? Like, don't get me wrong, I grew up with lots of fun dysfunction, but one thing that we actually didn't, we weren't even aware of was, you know, uh, I would say healthy eating, and I'm using a, a bunny ears over the healthy. Yeah. Like, I grew up in a Moroccan home. I was just about to say it. It's yeah. like all my 
a lot of my Spartac friends just have such a like joy of food, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there's there's always pressure to be thin. I yeah. find even oh. there, mm -hmm. but there's a lot more joy. A lot more joy, like you know, because the food's better. <laughs> <laughs> and like celebration is all around food. So you know, talking about wiring when you're younger, when you're a kid, and like you know, big events is taking place or parties happening in your house. It's all about food, and then as you get older, you're just you're like I don't know what the word is, but like I'm gonna make up a word. Imprintation of food <laughs> is around joy and celebration. And what's interesting is you know, when I grew up and people gained weight, my grandparents would say more to love. You know, there wasn't that's really such this, a beautiful message. Yeah, there really wasn't a message of you know dieting or when I I tell people all the time as adult as an adult I have to acquire taste for vegetables because like we had rye bread and you know super snacks my friends would come over to eat our food because there was like an abundance of it and we didn't even know what I never heard of the word diet that is ever so beautiful ever until I moved to New York really I had friends moms who would like pay them to be on diets and I was like what I, I never heard of that we were always very physically active we were all on sports teams we loved sports so maybe that you know weighed out the the eating I don't know but we didn't speak about it I think like there's space to just be intuitive about it if you're if you're not if it's not moralized this is good mm -hmm. this is bad this is a good food you're a good girl because you finished your plate yeah and there's mm -hmm. just space to like feed yourself because mm -hmm. you're a human being and you're alive and you require nourishment That's and food good. also can be comfort and food mm -hmm. can be celebration mm -hmm. and food can be joy and food could be sadness yeah. Without it being good, bad, without that binary that that like we find so confining as adults, mm -hmm. that is so damaging. Oh, so damaging. You know, only as an adult did I start having this like struggle with food because, you know, social media plays a big role and everyone's like, this is what you should eat, this is what you shouldn't eat and whatnot. And I know I might be like unconventional when I say this. I also do think that food can bring in... Um, the learning of self-discipline but not from a place of you can't eat that because it's bad for you it's from a place of you know delaying of gratification and understanding what serves you what what is healthy for you i have a little bit of a different opinion here because i'm so sensitive to diet I heard culture that. I, heard that. I feel like that's sneaky diet culture <laughs> like Instead of like just trusting your intuitive sense, there's like, no, there's a right way and there's a wrong way, even if it's like very lax. I'm just so sensitive to diet culture because this whole wellness phenomena is so damaging. Like clean eating is so damaging. Like let the people eat. <laughs> let the people eat whatever they want. Like Do you think do you think that there could be, you know, a happy medium because like, for example, you know, I, I happen to be an all or nothing person, right? Yeah. So my intuition is always telling me eat whatever you want. I think with full permission to eat whatever you want, you find a happy medium. Wherever there's restriction, there's binging. Okay. Wherever, I, I just, mm -hmm. I've seen over and over again, personally, with patients that have eating disorders, where ever there is restriction there is binging and maybe like I also think a big part of it is taking away the shame of 
overeating. Like maybe that was the best coping skill you have in that moment. And that is a hundred percent okay. Yeah. Sorry guys, I'm shaking my head when I'm speaking <laughs> and I'm realizing that I need to say yes because you can't see me. Um, I, I, I really hear that and um, I guess I'm, I'm also on that um, journey when it comes to food and my relationship with it and I'm still trying to figure it out. I do know that when people come to me with um, eating issues or any kind of eating disorder, I actually refer them out because it is not something that... Um, I know a lot about mm-hmm. um, it's not something that I feel comfortable with because I like to treat what I know yeah it's very important And so it's still like a new journey for me I'm still figuring it out and I know that you know that that self-discipline on a personal level is important for me and I'll share because you know everyone puts in place barriers for a different reason. The barriers for me is that I physically don't feel well when I have certain things that I love to eat. I think it's the difference between boundaries and self-discipline. Yeah. Self-discipline makes me like Correct. shrink. Okay, I see it. It, makes I see me, it. it makes me shrink. So I like your word better. Because I feel like there's always shame. It's like, I'm not disciplined versus I am. Okay. Versus like boundaries. Like, yeah, like if a food makes you physically ill... If you're a celiac, you mm-hmm. should not have gluten. Mm-hmm. What if it tastes so good? <laughs> the struggle is real. I think yeah. I think that's where self-parenting comes in. Like, what would you tell your child? Like, your child really wants this piece of cake, but you know it's it. They're allergic, and I don't mm-hmm. think it's like, oh, I don't feel so good after. Like, really challenge those thoughts. Like, oh, I just don't feel good when I eat anything but kale. That's like sneaky diet culture. Like, really check in. Like, how do I feel? I have to force kale down my throat. Yeah. Well, how do I feel if I give myself one million percent permission to eat this mm-hmm. fried chicken sandwich Yum. with french fries? Izzy's makes it Yeah, amazing. so good. My <laughs> Southern fried chicken sandwich. My obsession. Oh. Like, if I give myself full permission, and I'm not doing it in a compulsive way, where it's like a binge where I'm, mm-hmm. or I said no, I said no, I know I'll just get a salad, just get a salad, just get a salad. So I eat like a meal before and then like finally I can't sit on my hands anymore so I have it. <laughs> like yeah, you probably won't feel good after you have probably. it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if you say like, if this is what you want, like go for it. Yeah. I like that. I'm saying again, it's, I'm still figuring out that journey and how, you know, I can have a better understanding of myself when it comes to food. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, healing the England here, right? Oh, absolutely not. There is always more to be done. Uh, yeah. That's also a pressure, knowing that there's more to be done. And that's why I think compassion, self-compassion for yourself is so important during the healing journey or during life. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like I call it the healing journey, but let me just call it life. Mm-hmm. Having self-compassion to yourself when life is doing what life does and sometimes it it doesn't throw the nicest things at you and I think um, self-compassion is such an important vital tool to accumulate and learn develop because it's really what's going to keep you going and it's what's going to hold true genuine change again in quotation it's going to hold real genuine shifts because if anyone is on this journey and they're shifting because of like you know 
self-talk and negative feelings and just negativity. Mm. It's just so temporary. It's so temporary. And I'm sure you see that play out with parents and child yeah. and like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have parents come, come in and they say, ah, so at the end of intake, they're like, so how long is this going to take? Yeah. So when is my child going to be, quote, unquote, yeah. fixed? And you know, I say to them, really, one of, another mentor of mine that I work with, his name is um, Chaim Winter. He says to them, you want to see change? And he pulls out, like, quarters from his pocket and he puts it on the table and he's like, here's change. I love that. Yeah, and I, I really believe that. I tell parents, honestly, and I say it might be hard to hear this, but the quickest or the longest the longest lasting change I see is when parents do the work with me and mm. when they're on board and they start getting in tune with themselves um, that's when we see real beautiful shifts when a parent says to me mm. you know what Kyla in the beginning when he said that I was like I don't know what she's saying but now I'm like I realize I'm at home and I like raise my voice because I'm the one who's going through this anxious period mm. and it's just so beautiful to witness when people recognize that even when we're done the work the tools that they're developing in the room is for life and you can always bring it back to yourself because mm. at the end of the day you are your best tool you are you are the decisive element really that that's it and there's times where you are a shitty decisive element and there's times when you're you're not. And when I say shitty, I don't mean you are shitty. You're in a shitty place, and you know what? You're doing okay. the best you can. That's okay. Mm. That's okay. Yeah. First of all, I'm so moved by the kindness that you bring to this process. I can feel it as you say it. Thank you. Thank you. And it's funny because you work with children, and parents are coming in and saying, When is my child going to be fixed? Then they realize, oh, maybe it's not their child. Maybe mm -hmm. it's their anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I see the same thing. People come in and they say, I had a panic attack. I'm having panic attacks. I'm here because my psychiatrist said I need to be here. But when am I going to be fixed? Mm -hmm. And it's a process to be like, what if you approach this with love and caring instead of shame? Yeah, it's so hard to hear that because I've been on the other end also mm -hmm. right when you know surprise I'm a therapist who's been two years of therapy everyone hey 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 yeah same <laughs> I, I'm a part of the same club <laughs> yeah years yeah. and years and uh, years thank um, god when a therapist says that to you you're like no no and that's when like you know that's when the work really starts happening when you realize that that voice that's inside of you that's so filled with self-doubt and, you know, negative, that's, that's not your own voice. That's not your own voice speaking. Yeah. It's this voice that you've heard from somewhere. It's, it's an interesting journey to figure out what that voice yeah. is or whose it is. Whose voice is that? It's such yeah. a powerful question. Yeah, like who, who's really saying that? Who's telling you you're not good enough? Yeah, yeah. Imagine yourself as a little kid, like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's when people would you ever really, say that to a kid? That's when people really start getting choked up, and I'm like, yeah, like you would never tell that to your five year old self. 
Like, would you even tell that to your friend? Yeah. We're like, no. I'm like, wow. And it, it really, it really like hits home when people realize that the way they're talking to themselves is shitty and mean. Yeah, it's mean. It's, it's like self-bullying. Mean, mean, mean. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I I catch myself there often because, like I said, that subconscious is so really powerful. strong. But yeah. then when you can bring it back and you start really taking care of that little child and rocking them like they're a new baby or rocking them. You know, I always love when I catch, um, seeing people in a park or at home when they're holding like their five-year-old or eight-year-old, like that baby mm. cradling them. I do that a lot in my room, you know, kids who are five, six, seven, sit in their parents' lap and the parent starts cradling them. Mm. And like the parent is like, before and when you could do that to yourself and imagine yourself holding your five-year-old self and being like this sucks right now but we're gonna get through this mm, yeah it's sometimes just... giving that inner child a pep talk like hey you're scared it's okay it's okay to be scared mm -hmm. naming the emotion for your child your mm -hmm. inner child because your inner child is just probably experiencing it somatically mm -hmm. your body's mm -hmm. bugging out yeah you don't know what's yeah. happening and saying like, you're scared. It's okay. We've gotten through everything scary until now. You can trust me. I'll get you through this. Mm -hmm. And notice how your body feels so different after. So different. And I also love like when you could tell that inner child that like as an adult, it's also okay to be afraid because adults don't got their shit together either. Absolutely not. <laughs> Adulting is a social construct. Yeah. I don't know. I saw a meme recently that said, remember when we were kids and we thought that 30-year-olds had their shit together and it says, ha, 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 for like an hour. And I'm like, oh, God, I need to put this everywhere. Absolutely. Because guess what? The 40-year-olds, the 50-year-olds, the 60-year-olds, maybe the 70-year-olds are starting to realize like, oh, that's what they meant when, you know, X, Y, and Z took place. It's all a big joke. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time, like, I sat down with a patient in, like, practicum in grad school, like, quite a few years ago, and she was sitting there, and she was telling me, she was so distressed, she's here, she's depressed, and I was sitting there, and I was nodding along, and I was like, you need professional help, and I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> that's me, I'm professional that's help. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Sorry, guys, I took a water break. I'm back. Water breaks are encouraged. Yeah. It's about finding compassion for yourself even when you don't feel good enough. Yeah. And not saying, you see these feelings that I'm having that I'm not enough or that I'm not legit? This is proof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's, it's, it's like, uh, sometimes it's like walking a tightrope, you know? And then I was like, I don't need to walk a tightrope. You know, these feelings that come up, like, maybe I should tap into my inner child. Maybe I should, and there's like all these like things that come up and it feels like a tightrope. Like, where am I gonna go? And I was like, no, I don't even need it. I can jump right off and I'm like five inches off the ground. I'm yeah. like, hey, that wasn't scary. You know? It's like we put all these expectations up of like what it should be, what it should look like, what this, what that. And I'm like, shh. Yeah, the pursuit of perfection. Mm gets in the way of the here and now, appreciating what you mm -hmm. actually have. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that I, I was with a family member today and um, they recently moved and I came into their apartment and I was like, oh my gosh, like it's so nice. I was like so happy for them. And 
they kept sharing with me like, but do you see this? But do you see that? Do you see this? And I was like, you know, we're so caught in this pursuit of perfection that sometimes we really miss the beauty of just like, hey, look at the, look what's around us. It's I okay get, to I be get, good enough. Yeah, and I get caught in that a lot. And that's why, you know, that this journey, that's why I love this journey because it's such a nice reminder of like, you know, if you need to put a push on the brake, push on the brake, get out, mm-hmm. look at the scenery, get back in when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. I so see how this attitude, like when it comes to parenting, when it comes to kids, when it comes to that work is so refreshing because I mean, you see on Instagram, all these perfect parents that have it all. You read these parenting books, it's like, your child should be speaking at this age and doing this at this age. And just that gentleness for like what is, appreciating what is and not what should be, is such a powerful shift. That's so powerful, it's so powerful. I love that you, like, that you brought that up because so often, you said that word, social media, you know, I, I think that there's a beauty and there's so much positive to it, but I also think it's creating uh, so much negative for the younger crowd. And I consider myself young, even though 30, for the younger crowd, you know, there, there's so much there. There's so much, I should be doing that, I should be doing this, mm. and so much of that expectation that you were saying of like, when is my kid going to do this? When are they not? That person's kid's doing that. But, you know, we didn't see the millisecond before the picture. And we didn't see the millisecond after. And you know what? Speaking from experience, when I put up that picture, I laugh. Because the millisecond before and the millisecond after doesn't look like the picture. Every once in a while it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, it's yeah. the highlight reel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, reminding yourself that's important. But I find that with myself and with my clients, even when I remind myself and them, that feeling still comes up because the brain is so powerful. Yeah. And it's registering what it sees as real. Yeah, you can tell yourself, like, they put, like, um, warnings on magazines sometimes because it's Photoshop. Yeah. But it doesn't switch, it doesn't change how our brain reacts. No, no, not at all. The brain registers it right away as oh, this is real because we're seeing, you know. I was just telling my husband this week that when I was younger, I was like six or seven years old and I had chicken pox. I had to stay home. still remember where and what and how I found the chicken pox. Yeah, now everyone gets chicken pox vaccine, so nobody really mm-hmm. experienced chicken pox anymore. In our generation. Yeah, had actual chicken pox. We had chicken pox parties. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and um, I remember that... Um, we took out the television to put it in the main room so I can be in a big room and watch TV. And I remember the babysitter, you know, put on, you know, she shouldn't have been the babysitter, but <laughs> there was like a rated R movie on. I remember I was like six or seven and there was like a scene there. And I was telling my husband this week, like I was seven years old and I still remember that scene. Yeah. yeah. And it was like an explicit scene. Oh, and gosh. I was like wow. thinking to myself, like, you know, connecting that to the social media, that everything the brain sees, it really registers. And it keeps, it can keep replaying 
yeah. you're playing it. And when you're constantly seeing social media of people who are appearing perfect, appearing beautiful, appearing put together, appearing healthy, the mind doesn't know the difference. Really doesn't know the difference. That's why, you know, Nicola Perry talks about future self journaling, mm -hmm. how it's so powerful when you talk to yourself in the future because what is future self journaling because oh, i feel like this is something to get into it's, it's so powerful it's so powerful i don't know tons about it i actually experimented with it like for a week and it was really powerful i had to get back into it but again mm -hmm. that subconscious is saying no kyla no um basically you let's say somebody wants to start being more present in their life so mm -hmm. there's a template that she gives for free and um, you say, like, I'm going to work on being more present. Being more present looks like, and you can write, um, eating dinner without my phone, um, listening to music without watching something on the train. Mm -hmm. And it says, when I'm more present, I feel, and you write what you feel. I feel alive. I feel grateful. I feel happy. And if there's a template. Mm -hmm. What happens is, because the same way the brain sees a picture and it registers as that real, when you're writing this down, the brain registers this as real and it's happening. Yeah. So it manifests as that. And I know from experience that just from doing it for a week, it was magical. And I know it sounds like, oh, flitzy, magical. There's so much you, there's amazing. so much research backing this up, especially with sports athletics. Like they make the athlete visualize victory mm. over and over again you speak to any olympian this is just a part of their um training and yeah. it's like what will it look like what will it feel like what will you smell what it. will it sound like the more vivid you get mm -hmm. the more robust p picture your brain has to hold on to and then you're creating a positive memory even though you're projecting into the future and especially if you spend all your time catastrophizing 100% you're creating a new neural pathway to say like what if things work out it's amazing what, what if things aren't horrible so you spoke about visualization how much more so when you're writing mm. the, the brain and the hand and the like the connection that's going on when you're writing it it's you're in your visual, body yeah so you're visual you're seeing it yeah you're writing it it's coming back to you as you it's, write it because you're reading it as you're so writing. amazing wow and so really when your mind sees something, it takes, you don't see me doing, saying yeah. it takes a, uh, you know, a there, trip. There you, are dances happening yeah. that you don't see. Basically. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm into that. Yeah, I find like when a patient comes in and they're like, this is horrible, this is horrible, I want this fixed, I can't deal with this anymore. It's like, okay, but what do you want your life to look like? Like, we can stop this, and maybe we could stop that, and maybe we could shift this. But what do, you, what do you want your perfect day to look like? What do you want your... There's this phrase that a friend of mine had come up with. It's called... We call it ordinary bliss. Just mm. ordinary bliss. I love that. Like, what's your, what does your ordinary bliss look like? What's your Sunday morning kind of cozy feeling? What do you want that to look like? To so just imagine that, like, regular, everyday, whole feeling... Mm. Not walking around worried, anxious, depressed. Oh, are you asking me? No, yeah, What's I was like, like that's. Oh, oh. Well, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear. Oh man. Well, today's Sunday. My my Sunday perfect day might look different than the Monday. Um, 
Such a good question. Such a good question. I also think that it varies um, depending on, you know, what's going on in your life and what's what's happening. So today, what were one of those? How did you call it? Ord and bliss. Ord and bliss look like. Well, today's weather was magnificent. It was lovely. So if I could sit in the park on a fluffy blanket, not just a sheet, because I don't want to feel the grass in mm-hmm. my... Um, and eat, of course, like we said, food. Um, perhaps play some sports with my husband, like throwing baseball back and forth. Um, not thinking about the week. Not because my week is necessarily stressful, but just staying present. Mm. Seems like staying present is a big theme for you. Yeah, yeah. I find that the mind wanders. And the more I bring it back to my breath, which is what helps me stay present, is really how I find gratitude in my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. because the more present I am, the more I'm aware of what's going on around me, and then I can be like, so grateful for it. Yeah. But when the mind is like, in April, on April 2nd, when today is, what are we, March? March something. March something, like, what happened to March something? March something is gone if I'm in April 2nd. Yeah, I think a big part of the work that we do is keeping trauma in the past mm-hmm. and not letting worry of the future come into the present. Mm-hmm. Saying like that was then, this is now. Then you weren't safe. Mm-hmm. Now you are safe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you'll be safe. I can't promise you that bad things won't happen. But in this moment, you're safe. Are you safe? Mm-hmm. How do you know you're safe? Mm-hmm. Look around the room. What lets you know that you're here? Because a trauma brain can't distinguish between the past and the present mm-hmm. or the future. Mm-hmm. When that comes up for myself, or with clients, mostly with clients, I say to them, like, in this moment, in this room, is the room on fire? Mm. Right? Is something physically hurting you in this exact moment? And they say, but what? I said, that's the what if. When Mm. you start feeling what ifs, what ifs is anxiety speaking. What ifs, what ifs is never yourself speaking. It's never your highest self. Yes, we have to plan, right? We have to plan like with dinner and whatnot. But when what ifs come up, what if my child X, Y, and Z? What if I walk in the street and this happens? Automatically, that's not being present. Automatically, that's anxiety speaking. What's the big deal about not being present? Mm. You're not fully living. Mm. You're not fully living because your mind is not fully here can't experience the moment now you know I, I think that most people and you'll correct me if I'm wrong myself included at times we're not fully living because our mind is in is not present when we are present we are privy to the things that are happening around us, the good or the bad, 
mm-hmm. right? And when we are on April 2nd, then we miss out on today. I think it's such an important point that you said, being present to the good and the bad, because I'm talking for myself, like, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, I'm down to be present for the good things, but if something bad's happening, I want to check out, and you cannot selectively numb. Mm-hmm. You cannot check out of the bad things without checking out of the good things, and it is the cruelest trick of life, but it's where life happens by mm-hmm. being present to both the good and the bad. And you know what? That really, we, we grew up in an era where sadness or negative feelings wasn't really spoken about. It was like, you're okay, you're fine, you're good, mm-hmm. you know? And the only way to truly appreciate happiness is to know what sadness is. Ooh, I got full body chills as you said that. Like, that really is the only way to appreciate happiness. It's like, how would we appreciate a sunny day without the shitty days? Without the rainy days? Yeah. Right? And I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm actually talking... You know, we can use it in both ways, but we appreciate the weather that's outside today because it's magnificent because the days before were crappy. Yeah. yeah. And my favorite um, treatment plan goal um, for clients and for myself is client will, will be, will, oh, I just messed it up. Client will be comfortable with discomfort. Yes. Yes. And... That is sound simple, but at the end of the day, any feeling that we don't want inside of us is really discomfort. It's discomfort. Anxiety at its core is discomfort. Yeah, you see a baby, they're mad, they are comfortable screaming, yeah. crying, yeah. letting everyone know it's our discomfort that makes that us silences sh- it. Yeah, exactly. That's why I talk about parents with tantruming. Kids are tantruming in the store, I say, Great. Let them express it. Let them get it out. Yeah. I tell that to adults also. I'm like, you are entitled to throw a tantrum. You are entitled to throw a tantrum. Maybe you don't want to deal with the shame hangover after. Maybe it's ineffective. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's the only way you have to let it out. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. A hundred percent. You know, there are times in my life where where I struggle with anxiety, right? Uh, I'm human. And sometimes it's... What? Oh my God, you don't see my angel wings over here. Um, and really how I've mastered, I feel like I've mastered parts of it, is really recognizing that it's just discomfort. And you spoke before about um, distress tolerance. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's the same thing. Yeah. If you can tolerate distress, which is ultimately discomfort, then you're... You're one up your anxiety. You you've you've conquered a lot of it, and it's scared when you get better at it, yeah. right? And then it says, "No, you don't." And I'm like, "You're just discomfort. You're welcome to join me on my trip. You're welcome to come with me. I know that you're discomfort." What do you What do you mean when you say discomfort? Discomfort. Well, anxiety lives in the body, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, most people. Um, who struggle with anxiety, it, it appears in different parts of their body. It could be their throat, their tummy, their back, mm. their head, their toes, yeah. 
everyone's different. Anxiety is just your body getting ready to run from a tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uncomfortable. Mm, it's yeah. uncomfortable. It's an important response because if you needed to run from a, ta- a tiger, mm-hmm. like the adrenaline's there, the cortisol's there, yeah. and that is all these symptoms that you're feeling. Your tummy is, your digestion is shutting off. So only the most important exactly. functions that you need can happen right now. So you can run. And I'm so or fight. grateful. Yeah. I'm so grateful that my that means my body's working. I tell clients, like, you know, when they're having a panic attack, I'm like, your body is working. Mm. Your body, let's thank it. What a powerful shift. Let's thank our body for showing up. But let's also tell our body, you know what? I'm not in danger. I don't need the extra adrenaline right now. I think we get addicted to the adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And studies show, like, adrenaline is like a drug. It's like your whole body is on fire. You feel it. You think differently. It's like an endogenous Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. system that gives you a high. And to think about living just in that, Calm. It's scary. Terrifying. It's scary. Terrifying. Most clients who come in with anxiety and things are going well, they start looking for what's not going well. Because again, that subconscious is like, no, bring back anxiety. No, no. Well, this goes back to the attachment. Mm-hmm. I am comfortable being uncomfortable but not in a way that it's more comfortable to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Which is yes, it's more comfortable crazy to think about. To be in pain. Yeah. It's because it's what I know. That's what ultimately what it's saying. I know what I know best is pain. I have to learn about calm now. Oh heck no. I have to learn how to function without this. Mm. It's scary. Because it's served a purpose for so long. And we thank it. Mm. I say all the time, let's thank it. Let's even write it a letter. You have carried me for so many years. But now, I get to say goodbye to you in a kind way. And when we, when we say that goodbye, we find ourselves not in the same dating pattern of why do I only date unavailable people? Yeah. Or... Why do all my friends leave me? Mm-hmm. Or why do I break up with someone if they're nice? Mm-hmm. Why do mm-hmm. I find all the good men boring? A hundred percent. Because boring terrifies anyone who went through a trauma, anyone who's struggling with anxiety, even depression. Boring is terrifying because that chaos, that internal chaos, is what's fueling them. Yeah. It, you need to take a moment to say like, what do you mean when you say boring? You mean safe? You mean you can trust? Mm-hmm. You mean you don't have to fight for every inch? Predictability. It means this yeah. person is predictable. Which is a secure attachment, mm-hmm. but you have like no idea what to do with that. Yeah, and it scares people. They're like, mm, I don't even know what that is. Why are you being so nice? Is something wrong with you? Yeah. Is yeah. something wrong with you? Sometimes I'm on a train in Brooklyn, right? And people are like kind and holding the door open. And I'm like, what do they want? What do they need? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't look at them. Don't make eye contact. They're going to start talking to you. Right? And it plays out everywhere in life. 
when people experience um, early, early on pain, even later on pain. It's that unpredictability that they're looking for. It's because it's what they know best. What would you say the first step towards healing that would look like? How do you get out of that pattern of seeking the chaos because it's comfortable? Seeking the pain because it's comfortable? It's, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Before therapy or before any of that, because sometimes therapy is scary for people and healing is scary for people, I would say just get to know yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're hearing a podcast like this, this one or another one or if a friend says something to you and you're taken aback by it ask yourself hmm I want to get curious about myself Hmm. I want to learn a bit about myself do I really know me and that question sometimes also brings up fear it's a scary path to go down yeah but just getting a little bit more curious about yourself is also so empowering. It's also an act of self-love. Yeah. When you love someone, you're curious. Mm-hmm. What do you think about? What's your favorite color? Exactly. What do you like? What do you dislike? What did you think about this? Mm-hmm. And sh- showing that love to yourself. Like, I know you think you're scared of dogs, but how do you actually feel when you're around them? Mm-hmm. Who, who were you with the first time you were afraid with, of dogs? Mm. Did you see someone run? You know, just getting to know yourself is really interesting. And sometimes, you know, I, it's it's funny that I'll say this as a therapist, but, you know, you can get to know yourself without a therapist if therapy is scary, expensive, time-consuming. You could really get to know yourself through so many different ways. Journaling, meditating. So many different ways. Sitting in stillness, trying mm-hmm. something new and noticing what comes up for you. Exactly. Exactly. This was my first time being on a podcast. Woo! Um, How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. We're almost at the end of our time. Okay. I want to ask you before, I feel like those are the therapist words that we're always saying at the end of our time. Um, One last question. Mm -hmm. If you could like get one message out there to the world, one truth, one beacon of hope or healing, what would you want to say? You're all fucking beautiful. Oh. Yeah. You are the tool that you need. You are your best tool. It's all, it's all in you. Always. Always. Sometimes we need external help to get there, but you are the tool. Yeah. I think that's so powerful, especially when you see someone in a... Uh, therapy setting people are like oh it's the therapist it's the therapist and it's like it is all you you're showing up here every week they show up it's beautiful to watch it's beautiful to bear witness to the vulnerability mm-hmm. and braveness and willingness to be uncomfortable because it yeah. is so excruciatingly mm-hmm. difficult mm-hmm. oh and lastly you said one message is that discomfort never kills anyone feels like it sometimes yeah but you are stronger with that than that discomfort and it's possible to push through it oh yeah yeah even if that mind is telling you not i love that Mm -hmm. thank you
Thank you. Thank you for this honor. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for coming. And it means a lot. Thank you. It's such a privilege. Cheers. Cheers.